0: This is To The Point. A Rhino Experience. Pulled in one of the top home services, marketing, and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting
1: to the point.
2: So, go. Go. I already pulled out all the questions you guys don't want me to ask, but then I forget which ones, which sheet it was on. So, this could be those, it could not be those. I don't remember. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and go to the first one. This one's pretty easy. Um, but I think it's an interesting one because it was, came up quite a bit. And really the first five set of questions I have came up more than four times each. So in one way, shape or form. Pretty easy. This first one is simply what motivated you guys to even want to grow such a large business?
0: What's that? Take it. Well, I think when I got started in business, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And, and uh, you know, I'm a very goal-oriented person. So I just, I kept raising the bar for myself and my company. And uh, every time I would get to a certain level, I'd say, well, if I did that, I can do this. If I did this, I can get to here. And then I got to a point where I was invited to be a part of a company called ARS, back in the mid nineties and I was a founding member and we went out and we were going to roll up the business, the industry much like we what's going on today. And I got acquainted and got to work with some people who had some different experiences in scaling businesses. And and that group came from BFI, the garbage uh, consolidator, much like waste management. And so just watching and learning from them and understanding The methodology from it it gave me some more confidence and then and then i took that confidence and my next business was bigger and more scaled and then i sold that and i got to be around other people with other experiences so i just think i'm a student of my experiences and every time you get a little more confidence behind you you're ready to take the next leap
3: i'll tell you my case um Ever since I was 13 with my paper route and then working with my father driving trucks at 16, I always wanted to work. I've always worked six, seven hours, six or seven days a week, and I always wanted to be a millionaire. I just didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew if I kept on working, someday it would work. So my brother asked me to come out to California and work with his plumbing company. Uh, But after catching two houses on fire, I decided I was better in the office than I was out in the field. And, but, growing a large company being this, I just never wanted to stop. And I still don't want to stop today. But the key thing in growing a company, don't think you're that smart. I constantly surrounded myself with very smart people. And, everyone just about every one of these guys
1: just some, about
3: yeah <laughs> at one time was in a group that we were in I was always in a group of six or seven we'd have calls every Thursday we share financials and I always wanted to be the small guy learning from the big guys what they did and um, you just got to be humble you've got to listen and you got to learn because you'll get down this line, you'll get six different answers, but they're all right. But one of them's going to fit your personality. And the last thing I'll say is I think the key to my success, and I'm working on my third sale of the company, um, very successful because I've surrounded myself with good people, but more so that the key thing is you've got to hire people better than yourself. Don't think you, you you're going to always be the best because I've seen people are afraid to hire somebody better than themselves, and people will look down on them. This man right here, Frank DeMarco, is our CEO. He really should be here, not me. Uh, but he brought us, we were $50 and uh, before our first sale, and now we're over $100 million, over 20%, all because of this guy growing in three years of doing that. So you've got to have good people around you. Praise them. Treat them like family. you just got to be good to them. I mean, I think all of us, Ken, Jimmy, all these guys down here, Dave is good. We're all good friends. We're all competitors. Certainly, Odyssey, our group, is the best. But if he he pisses you off, uh, you would go one of these guys. But, you know, it's about being friends, and it's about working together and sharing and, and you know, I think most of you guys remember sometime we were in a group and we share financials and that helps you. If you could get a guy, Kevin Cummer for up north, he and I were always the same, but I could see where my mistakes were by looking at his financial mind. I could identify. And there's five things Five things I can look at a financial and tell you exactly where the company's broken. But I learned that from these guys. So um, that's probably enough. <laughs> Jimmy, you were the first killer out there, man. You were in our group.
1: Yeah, for me, it was, a lot of people asked, you went from $7 million to $210 million in this 18-year span, and, and, man, you must have had a master plan. You must have, you know, had it all figured out, and, and it was like, no, but I was just trying to make payroll uh, when I bought it, so it was like, I never really worried about, I think Howard may have said, I never really worried about our competition at all. I kept my head down. I was competing against ourselves. We have enough problems to figure out and get better at. Um, I don't need to worry about anybody else's problems. Um, and so it was, if I'm nothing else, I am competitive. And it was that, you know, competitive spirit. I used to compete in sports, and and now it's in business. And uh, competing against guys like these is... Uh, it is really an honor, so.
4: What was the question? No, just kidding. Uh, no, you know, it's interesting. I think you, you will get six different answers. For me, well, one, why not, right? I mean, it, what's more fun than growing a business? It's just a ton of fun, right? It gets, gets hard, but it's a lot of fun. People, people the money doesn't suck, true. Um, you know, I got in the got in space when I was 15 years old. People ask me, how did, at 15 years old did you think about doing this? And I, I, I have no idea. But I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I decided HVAC. Uh, but I thought the way in was technically. So back in the day when I went to high school, they offered trade schools, right? And they offered HVAC. So I, I figured that the way in was to learn the trade first. I'll figure everything else out. I'll be 61 uh, next month so you can do the math and how long I'm, I'm doing this. So. Yeah, I know. I'm old. But but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, you know, as I was growing my business in Atlanta, the bigger I got. The more people that got promoted, that came along, that did well, I never dreamed we'd be where we are today. I don't think any of us up here saw this 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, But one of the things I think I'm most proud of as I think about some of the benefits of going in business, what it means for others. And what I think I'm most proud of in what we're doing today is we've created, and and what's happened and transpired in the industry over the last three, four years, and growth has allowed this to happen, is that we've created almost 100 new millionaires in our business. These are rank and file managers, service managers, county managers, CSRs, et cetera, et cetera, who are doing doing the work day in, day out, that have come on this journey, right? And and all these guys, if you can say the same thing. And that's really cool to see people in your industry come along and become really wealthy. And uh, for me, I think that's what I get the most out of. and Being big helps that happen.
3: Let me say one thing, I'm sorry. I was gonna say that, but you beat the hell out of it. I'm <laughs> proud to say that I have six multimillionaires that three years ago was making two hundred thousand a year. Now they're multimillionaires, and they all are still working, still working for the next deal, working harder than ever. But to have a hundred like that—that's—I'm just blown away. I'm very, very impressed. Good job.
5: Yeah, I, I think for me it came in different stages. Obviously, somebody else said it. It was—it was just to survive initially how do we make payroll how do we grow the business how do we create uh, enough income coming in to provide the needs for my for my family and then as we started getting some success and having really long term employees with us 10 15 20 years they started looking at us okay where are we going with you jimmy where is our next step so now today we have we promote most of all managers have come from within our company they started off as technicians in the field. They, they advanced to now service managers. Then a lot of them have advanced to general managers running centers. So when we look at that, and you can't do that without growth. So the, if you're not growing your business, there are no management positions. There are no future uh, positions for, for the people inside your company. So that's really where it's tur- turned out for me is, you know, now it's the opportunity that we're able to provide for the, for the employees inside the company. You know, if they want to uh, relocate, we'll have a, a general manager position open up in some new center that we're opening up uh, different places across the southeast. So initially it was just, hey, how do, how do I provide for my family? And then now it's how do we really provide an opportunity and a place to work for the employees that, that want to advance inside our company.
6: So I have a very similar story to all the stories up here, so I won't repeat it. But I, I, I would say as, as we got up to around 100 million in sales, you know, the thing that really drove me was creating that opportunities that's that, you know, been set up here. And also, I didn't want to get to the end of my career and say, well, I, I would've, I could've, I should've, and not try, and not play full out. So I really, my advice to you would be play full out, believe in yourself, and go faster.
0: Let me say this to this whole this question. It's it's like the guy who uh, who uh, did the first four minute mile, right? And I remember, don't remember the exact stats, but once he hit the four minute mile, then hundreds of people started hitting the four minute, minute mile. Four minute mile. Once he proved it could happen. So, from from my perspective, you know, uh, Jimmy Hiller and I were in a group together. Uh, Airtime 500, and I heard about him, and I heard the big numbers he was doing, and, and I'm thinking, if he can, I can. And then, you know, patient zero down here, Geiger, who sold the big, the first big deal at over 100 million, I'm thinking, if he can, I can, and that's kind of fueled a lot of this growth. And you see, uh, you just see it in the industry now. Used to be, we'd all talk about our gross sales. Oh, we're a $25 million company, we're this or that. Now everyone's starting to get the clue, and they're all starting talking about their EBITDA. So it's kind of you know, once somebody breaks the breaks the mold, everybody else can co- go through and, and take it to the next level. I, I clearly see that the industry is going is to play at a much higher level in this next few decades.
2: Perfect. I'm going to move on to the next question. What do you look for in a leader who is going to stay on and run? an acquired company, how do, you structure, how do you structure their compensation? Say that again? Sure. What do you look for in a leader who is going to stay on to run the acquired company? Let's start with that.
0: Uh, what's the second word? A leader or a meter?
2: Lee-der. Leader. Okay.
0: So one acquiring a
4: company?
2: correct so the company that you're acquiring what are you looking for in a leader
0: well obviously leadership skills um but uh you know what what's their bandwidth right you know and and how curious are they are they really interested in learning new things and taking to the next level are they a cultural fit you know things like that and talking about getting them to the next level i think it's i don't i think it's when i look around in this uh well, I I used to call it a roll-up space. Now they call it a build-up space, something like that. When I look at this new space, I think it's incumbent upon the uh, build-up companies to really try to get the operators at least back up to a similar level of income that they were enjoying running the businesses, especially if they have um, high leadership capability uh, and not just kind of play on stock options and things like that. The business has to Attract talent and pay them accordingly.
1: Yeah, I would I would say the same thing. The only thing I look for, like, are they going to be fun to work with? Are they going to Are you going to enjoy working with them? Uh, do they laugh at your jokes? Um, can they make a joke where you down. laugh at? Uh, having fun, as hard as we all work, having fun is an important part for me. So. Um,
6: and that's truth. <laughs> I'll go, I, w- I would say hungry, humble, and smart is what I'm looking for. And then as far as the pay comes in three, three, you know, forms. One is the salary. One is bonus in the sh- short term for the year. And then tying somebody into to the long-term value creation.
3: I had a switch, um the chairman of the board, and I'm not the CEO. This man here can
7: answer that better than I can. He's very, very good. I'm uh, clearly not on the legends. Bro, bro, you should but stand up I know at least. From, <laughs> uh, you know, Dave said, you know, look, it's um, just management, leadership experience. Our comp structure is we expect our leaders to make very good money. They should be able to make money like an owner makes. So strong base salaries, be able to double it, more than double it options going into the deal um it's hard to find good leaders but they got to be good to work with got to have vision got to be open um and you know just just got to allow change so i think it's been hit by a couple of people so thanks okay.
3: you'll be up here next year instead of me <laughs>
5: i, I kind of look at it you know, yep. i kind of look at it in four, four different things First of all, you know the the businesses that we're acquiring is not at the the same level that that uh, the, the PEs are, are are doing. So ours are a little bit smaller. The, the first thing I look at is, is this individual coachable. So we we'll call them the four Cs. Number one is are they coachable? Are they willing to to listen to the direction we're going and and follow in those directions? Number two is are they committed? Are they really committed to what we're trying to do as a company and grow with us in that? Uh, Number three is, are they competent? Are they competent in what they're doing each and every day? Can they really do the job that we're asking them to do? And then the, the fourth C is, do they care? Do they care about the people that they work with? Do they care about the company uh, and, and willing to, to, to take care of it like we would? So that's what we look at.
4: Yeah, and I think, I think it's been said, and, and uh, yeah, Howard did a great job earlier, and leadership and culture's been talked about a lot over the last couple of days. So, you know, but, Maybe even to back up. I mean, for, for me and for us, it is you know the old saying. It's 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 not the land; it's the man, and, and it's so true of having the right the right guy or gal in that in that spot. But you know, first it's it's partnering with with great companies and great markets, with great cultures, with great leaders, uh, and great management teams. Uh, with respect to the the the, the owner who's going to come along and, and remain a partner, obviously we want we want great leaders, and you know you know, obviously being empathetic, being a great listener, being respectful. Um, a term that Kevin says a lot, you mentioned Comerford early earlier, is, um, you know, being interested, not interesting. Think about that for a minute. It's, it's not it being about you, but caring and listening to other people, making it about the other person, uh, not yourself. And so, you know, just another trait I think is, is, um, is, is a big trait for, for a, uh, for a leader. So anyway, I think it's covered.
2: Okay. Next up is what does your daily schedule look like? Hours worked weekly, whatever it is, but what does your daily schedule look like? I know what Leland's answer is going to be.
4: He
3: sleeps all day. So- <laughs> <laughs> um, I love working. I love the people I work with. Uh, I am a seven-day work week, unless I'm down at the beach. But Saturdays and Sundays, the building I work in is empty, and I consider myself a looker. I, on those on the weekends, I look for anything, I'm trying to find a problem that we can fix. I don't know what I'm going to find, but you'll know when you find it. You know, you read every job cost, and you look at every invoice. You just look at everything, just where can I improve this and make this better for everyone? But um, the successful guys that are going to be in the multimillionaire area are not two-day-a-week guys in vacation a lot or vacation during the summer. They're there all the time, and their people see you there. I have people call me on Sunday when they see my car out there and can't believe I'm working on Sunday. But I love it. I'm, it's not work. It, it's something I love and I've always loved. And um, that's that's me. Now, not everybody else works seven days a week, but maybe I don't like to go home to the dogs. Or I'm not sure. <laughs> But I will tell you my one quick joke. I always go home every night to the two most beautiful blondes it, you can imagine. I hug on them, I kiss on them, then I say hi to my wife. Um, I have two white golden retrievers, and I love those dogs, and they're at the door every night. Has nothing to do with that, but that's probably the only reason I go home. <laughs>
2: all of this with SmartAC.com. you've got to check it out now
5: okay you know i, I i've been getting up at 4:30 most of my life so my day typically starts at 4:30 shower and get ready and then sometime around 5:30 i start looking at reports daily reports from the previous day to uh to see what uh what what happened in each each center that we have and then you know i work you know ten twelve hours most days of my life, uh, depending on what my my wife and my grandchildren so I still on weekends and, and nights that they have activities, you know the the work family life balance there's things that that you'll never uh be able to get back you know when my when my granddaughter scores a basket and she looks over in the stands and, and sees that is still there watching her, those are things that you'll you'll never get back. And then in the summer times, I spend a lot of time at the lake, so we typically go up there on on Friday nights. And uh, the most fun that I have in my life is is pulling the the, the grandchildren on uh, on the tube or on the wakeboard or whatever the case may be. So um, I work during the week, ten to twelve hours a day if, if necessary. In the winter time, I don't I don't do that a whole lot in the summertime because I'm at the at the lake most of the summer on saturdays and sundays but uh i work 10 12 hours a day you know five six days a week
4: for me yeah, nothing special i'm pretty routine I'm up, I'm up every day around five when my uh afternoon, afternoon when my when my knees not bothering me i'll be on the treadmill try to get a run in before work and then i'm old school i i uh i don't like this remote stuff i like being in the office I like being able to walk down the hallway and talk to people. And so I'm typically in by, by 7:30, and I'm there all day. I don't go off for lunch, uh, work right through lunch and, and just, uh, that's pretty much it. Unfortunately for, for all of us in this room, I suspect it's really hard to get away from work. And so whether, you're, whether you're at your desk or you're working remote, uh, we got that phone that's attached to our ears most of the time. And so it's, it's, Seven days a week, twenty-four-seven. Right? It just—it is what it is. With the phone rings, you answer it, and
6: I've always been that way. So, it uh, doesn't change. I'll go. So I'm probably eight hours a day. I, I moved from CEO to chairman, um, but I still get pulled into to a lot of different things. Um, I just—I would say I work differently than I did before. Uh, I know that know that PE—they don't, don't know what time it is, so they—they'll call you any time of the day or weekends and and I'm available for for that for that but uh for the most part probably you know 40 to 50 hours a week so my last PE sponsor uh, was bomb
0: capital partners the uh the managing partner said to me one day said there's not enough there's not a corporation in America that would employ you the way that you the way that you work and the way that you handle your business. And, and, uh, that said, he said, but you're extremely effective at what you do. So I don't run a typical routine. I'm kind of, I kind of roam around the earth and look for opportunities and, and work, focus on the vision of the company. Um, right now I have what, what I call ghetto Mondays and I'm just on zoom calls with touch base with my key people, uh, you know, right through the afternoon and that's really about the contacts that I have with them and then I'll be in the branches and look around and I'm always digging for some new innovation that we can add to the company or a little twist to how we operate a process to make us more efficient and better so I just kind of roam around and figure out what to do next
1: um, I'm the same way I well not that but uh... I have, uh, or I work 50, 60 hours a week. I take the weekends off. Um, you know, I'm not that good at golf, so I I like working. That's how I compete in life. Uh, I think that'll change and it has changed as I got two new grandkids. So, uh, spending more time with them. Um, things don't make me happy. People do. So, um,
2: I think the majority of text messages I get from you guys are all 7 p.m., 8 (laughs) p.m. They're never during day, like work hours. I guess those are your work hours. So, um, okay, this came up a few different times and it's around um, some of the positions that you, you guys realize that you hired too late. So I guess this comes from as you were growing and learning or growing as the business, what are the positions that you know that you hired too late?
1: I hired them all too late really the uh I wish I had a m- more texts. I wish I had more people in the office i them. <laughs> i'm known as a sandbagger in uh the uh the ranch group <clears throat> i'm never doing well but until they get the p n l the uh but no i i uh You know the the key position that I I hired that really changed everything for Parker and Sons. We always grew by seven, eight, nine million a year. Um, We got in a good cadence with that, and I was able to hire a guy named Daryl Bingham, who came from George Brazil. He was George's right hand guy, and when he came in the business, between he and I, and obviously a whole bunch of others. It enabled us to grow at even a, a faster pace. So all of a sudden, we were growing at 20 million, 30 million last year, at 40 million. And so, it when you get that person, that uh, kind of elevates your business. It uh, it, it kind of kicks thing, or uh, things in gear, and you can uh, run at a much faster pace.
6: So my best hire was in 96 when I hired, a, who eventually became a partner, was Mark Aiken. And uh, he, he had a he had a different, a different uh, standard of where we could be, and it kind of really opened me up to where we could go. And as we progressed, we always hired every position to where we wanted to go, not where we were. And we would, we would start with a, with a CFO and then a great sales Manager named John Cameron, who unfortunately passed away, but always look forward to 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 finding and hiring the best people. And Frank DeMarco was 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 on that journey as well. So uh, so I think uh, uh,
0: the one that I regret not hiring uh, earlier was chief people officer or, you know, HR, an HR function. I mean, I I built several businesses with never even having that function in our business until I really found somebody um, to take that role and understood what that role was. You know, back in my limited perspective, when I first started, the HR person was just the, was the complaint department and, uh, you know, people would line out outside their door and complain every day rather than you know this chief people officer that would help you develop your culture develop your team develop your people develop your your uh, growth plans for your people you know surrounding everything around the people just like uh howard said so now looking back on it i think i i would have really accelerated our, uh the company's growth had i looked at it that way
4: i think i think for me s- similar to Uh, Paul Kelly was hiring a strong number two. Uh, And so, you know, as, as my business grew and I got about 60 million, I'm still running sales. Uh, So it allowed me to get a strong number two. now the, and actually, sorry, Paul, I stole them from Parker and Sons. Yeah. Before we came together, we go way back. So, uh, stolen from Parker and Sons and, and allowed me to start working on the business instead of in the business, which is, is critical. And I can start, you know, focusing on strategy and a little more strategic thinking and where, where we're going to take the business and where it's going. So if you don't have a strong number two that frees your time up to, to work on the business versus in the business, I strongly urge you to do it now. Uh, don't be afraid to spend the money. Uh, it's well worth the investment.
5: Yeah, yeah thanks. I don't
3: think I was that smart about this. That I was, always believe that you grow the revenues, then you grow the people there, and that's where your profit is which put a lot more work on myself and the people who were there. But when we did hire the right person, again, you hire somebody better than what you want that's going to grow into the next 10 or 20 million. But I was always delayed. I wanted the revenues first, then bring on the body to make sure that we were were where we were. And again, I can't say enough that... um, you always hire people better than you. You pay them well and treat them like family, and they'll grow with you. But then you've got to realize, and they'll all probably agree with me, that a $10 million company who grows to 40 or 50, if your people don't grow with you, it's going to drag you back. You've got to realize you may have to let some go because they didn't grow with you. And you've got to have different people for that, that different level.
5: I think for me, Paul said it and Dave said it too, um, you know, I think I had five centers before I had a general manager in any of my centers, so that, that was obviously a mistake. I waited too long to, to hire most of them. When I started putting general managers in each one of the centers, you know, I always thought, well, i get it to this certain level by myself and, and then I'll hire a general manager, and that was, that was a mistake. And today we put a general manager in day one because I can't do it all anymore. From there to the district managers, to the, to the CFO, to the human resources people, I waited too long on all of them. We do it better today when we see a need or see, like what Dave said, where we're going and what we're going to need in the next year or two, we try to go ahead and hire it at that time.
3: One thing I'd add to that before is that as you grow, and as all of us have grown, there's positions you don't even know that you need and that that's going to come up. And Frank has helped me so much on that is identifying you need a person here for this because of that, because we've never been a hundred million dollar company. It was never 50 million a couple of years ago, but as you grow, those positions come up and you realize you have to have it. And... Um, You just got to be aware of that. And that's where where you, again, hang out with the people that are your size and larger, and you'll find out more and more and learn more, and you'll make a lot less mistakes when people have already gone through what you've gone through.
2: Hey, what's the thought on if you find the right person that comes along, but you don't necessarily have a position for them, but you know that they're a rock star? Is your take, you hire them?
3: Yes, I I make room because I know somebody's going to go. Perfect. I'll give you an example. I hired Frank, and uh, we were going to partner up. We had a deal, and um, I've never lost people that have been with me for 10 years. I had four people leave with the current general manager. And I made a decision not to do what we had planned, but fired him and brought Frank in. And then Frank became a partner in the deal, and it just – you've got to be – this is what you said. You've got a, a good person. You got to bring them in and keep them. Yeah. You'll find room for them. There'll be a revenue generator for you if it's treated right.
2: Yeah. So this came from a conversation like KG, you and I had probably a couple of years ago cause I learned that lesson from you where I, where even in our own business, I noticed the right people were coming up who were expensive, who I thought were expensive. And I was like, I don't know where the hell I'm going to put this person, but I know they're the right fit. We're going to find a fit for them. So now two years later, I'm starting to see all those things are falling into place. So the risk was worth the reward because you had the right person taking all the stuff off of you. So I'm gonna roll into this next question. This one's asked often. Um, it is, says, "What were your biggest growth roadblocks, and how did you overcome them?"
5: Yeah, for for me, it's always been the people side of the business. You know, how can you attract, uh, hire, develop, and uh, retain the people that that you need to help grow you grow your business. Everybody, at least I think, up here will say that there's plenty of business out there to be had. You just got to be able to bring the right people in at the right time to help you grow your business.
4: Yeah, and I would agree. I think it's about people really. The two barriers of the growth that that I believe one is, is first is sales and capacity. It's great you know if you make the phone ring. That's great, but you got to have the people to get the work done, and you got to have the right folks in the office running the business. So. Uh, just making sure that you've you've got that team you've you've got those folks in place you've got enough capacity and that's oh you know for me again owning the business in Atlanta I always seemed a little behind in that uh, so that was probably the biggest biggest challenge I had
6: so I would agree with people but I also would say um, my own stinking thinking right why 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 was I thinking bigger why, why why wasn't I taking more chances I think we could have grown faster um, I look at the young, the guys that are coming up now and, and, and what they're accomplishing, and I'm really excited for what's possible for the next generation.
5: I would also add one thing that, that I missed up on is is the processes. I always thought, well, when I get to this next level, I'll put this process in place, and I should have done it long before, before I, I did.
0: So, you know, I'll parrot everything here, the, the – the people. And what Jimmy just said is more people, more challenges, deeper processes you got to have in place. So they kind of go hand in hand, you got to understand how you, you, you build these teams, especially at, uh, at a scale level.
1: Yeah, people again, but also the mindset. There's certain people in our industry, all of them up here on this panel, and most of you I know do the same. You get me thinking again. Uh, even Ishmael, you know, as crazy as he may sound sometimes, I go to his location and he gets me thinking again. And if, if I start thinking, then I fig- I can figure things out. And so, you know, a roadblock is just sometimes yourself you know, not thinking big enough or not thinking about the right things, that'll make a difference.
0: So he doesn't get you thinking about retirement?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I promise you this isn't my own question. (laughs) Let me preface it with that. But thank you to the three others of you that wrote the same similar question, because I also would like to know, what other industries outside of home services uh, are you guys interested in making involved in? Keep in mind, roofing is not technically home services. It's home improvement, but I digress.
0: Well, I, I've been making investments in the space, uh, you know, all the answer services, some software, some technical stuff, some training things. You know, I'm just kind of staying in this orbit of this world that I've dedicated my whole career to. Um, so those are the kind of businesses that I'm interested in over and above home service.
2: Maybe I can ask it a little bit different way to to whether you're interested in it yourself personally or not, but what is interesting or what are you seeing out there that might look like another successful channel to get into?
1: Yeah, I mean, anything with technology, uh, and not that I'm a technical person, but I I get enamored with with uh, seeing how things can change in industry, so whether it's Nuve or whether it's something else, um, I think those are the kind of things that I get excited about uh, looking into and and, um, and investing in. So.
5: Yeah, I guess for, for me, the only thing that, that interests me that's pretty safe bet in, in, in today's world is real estate so we, we do have a little bit of investment into real estate um, but I, i've always thought the best bet is always betting on, on myself and what we can do and what we can control so
4: yeah for us you know the hvac plumbing and electrical space residentially is about 130 billion across the u.s and our sales aren't anywhere near that so we're going to focus on things that we know not quite. We're going, to, we're going to focus on things that, that we know how to do. And until we have all of our locations doing all three trades, which we're getting close, you know, and then growing those three trades for us, we're going to stick to what we know and do well. There's some adjacent things, right, that you can do and related um, markets we can serve. Uh, but there's so much opportunity in those three. I just I don't see the reason to branch out on a roofing or take Tommy's business away with garage doors but you never know watch out but yeah so it's just just ton
6: of opportunity so I've heavily invested in HVAC but also I've invested in home improvement and roofing <laughs> windows and uh, one day bath so I like the home improvement business I think it translates really well the uh, big tickets uh, you know marketing is a little cheaper I think and uh, I like this I like the the the, the business yeah I'm very
3: similar to dave um I believe in doing what you do do well, and I don't have any interest in trying to be a anything other than h v c plumbing company because I believe you start with what you know well and get it perfect we we after twenty two years we just added plumbing and um but we were 25% bottom line HVAC, and we were growing. And we hit plumbing to our club members and just 15 million of that within a year or two. But I always discourage people, don't add plumbing or don't add HVAC or don't add electrical until you get the other ones down perfect that you really got. Because if, and, and actually we bought a company that, They didn't have any of it down, so they just kept on adding different trades that they did bad at. They weren't making the money. They weren't doing it right, so they thought, well, let's do another trade. Get your one trade down, get it perfect, then add another trade. Um, So in my case, I have no desire ever to get out of some type of home services. I would add electrical at some point once we think we got the plumbing and because if if you distract your key people, your key managers, they're working on HVAC and plumbing, and you throw them into electrical, you hurt the other trades. So you just want to make sure you make the money, and you can make a lot of money in those two. Then then add the third one, but you got to get the right people. But um, no, I have no interest in outside of what I know. Um,
0: so. Okay. Well. Uh oh. You know, when you look on the Internet, the greatest business that gets promoted every single day is Internet marketing. We all should probably get in the Internet marketing business. These guys are making ton of cash.
2: (laughs) Hey, it's not a bad place to be. And for the low, low price. (laughs) Uh, Dave, thanks for holding down on roofing. I appreciate you. We're having a good time with it. That's a good business. Um, this is a pretty cool question. I know, um, Goodrich, you and I have had some conversations around this. Leland and I've had conversations around this, um, doesn't really pertain to business directly, but, um, anytime, well, any of us who are in business for ourselves have some sort of sacrifice with our families, right? Like, and you're growing your business, you, you have to have balance. And a lot of times there isn't balance. Um, but what are a, uh, what are a few, like actually, if you could go back in time, what would you do things differently in this phase of growing the business, but personally? Think about what you sacrificed and things that you had given up, if it's anything, but what would you have done differently personally as you were growing your business? Personally at home, like not business related, you are growing the business, but how did it impact you per- personally? Was there anything negative in that? and like, what would you go back and change?
0: Well, I think for me, when I first started, you know, uh, one of the challenges, when you come out of a service truck into the trades, you really don't have the education that you need to, to run a business. And, and, you know, you've heard my story of the struggle, but really the struggle was my lack of understanding that, that I needed to go get the education first. And so I I wish I would have, Gotten a little more education and be be able to manage my life, my family life a little better, whereby I wasn't so consumed with figuring out this this great puzzle on how to run a business. And I could, you know, devote my 10, 8, 10, 12 hours a day at that, but really segment uh, time, more time for the family. I, I believe that I uh, I did. I was able to get a lot of good time with the family and took the vacations and went to the Little League games and I did all that stuff well, but now looking back on it, I don't think it was worth it. So I think I would rather spent some more time focusing on getting the education I need so I didn't just completely consume myself with learning how to run the business.
6: So when you're growing the business, you're working, you're, you're running running as hard as you can to, to do what you have to do. And later on, you look back and you say, I should have spent more time with, with the family and the kids. Although, like Ken said, I was at all the games and all, but my, uh, my advice would be put fences around your time. And when you're with your family, be with your family. And when you're at work, be, with, be, be at work. Because at the end of the day, um, you can't get that time back.
1: Yeah, I I have a similar story. Where in my in my early career, I traveled a lot, so I wasn't home enough. Uh, luckily, my wife is a great mother, and we ended up with two great kids. And we ended up uh, in the business together. Uh, where Josh worked at Parker and Sons, and then uh, started Clover, and now Justine and uh, and my wife work in the business, and I always. Tell my wife as we're as we're uh, as we're driving to work. I said I love I love coming to work with you. We go to work and leave work together, and she goes, "Oh, you you just like using the carpool lane." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, you're right." But <clears throat> um, a lesson I learned a long time ago. You hear a lot of parents say, "You know, I don't have a lot of time with my kids, but the time I do spend is quality time." And I learned this from uh, Spencer Lee, an old, uh, an old mentor of mine at uh, Rotaruter. He said, "That's uh, bullshit." He said, uh, "Go for quantity. There's no such thing as uh, quality. Five hours in front of the TV is way better than any one hour, you know, at the zoo or whatever. And so uh, quantity is, is a big thing now.
4: Yeah. So Paul and I came from that same company uh, and traveled a lot. So for, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're traveling three weeks out of the month, uh, it's not, it's not great for the relationship. And so I'm married to my second wife now for 10 years and certainly uh, she's terrific. But, you know, when you're traveling and spending that much time away, it's tough. And my kids were in the early years and growing up. So I miss quite a bit. And, uh, you know, looking back, um, you know, I regret that for sure. So I think the advice is, You know, someone said put fences around it and with your family, um, be there. You know, leave the phone at home. I know we all get yelled at for when you're out to dinner and the phone rings and it's work and you take it and you get to look. But, uh, you know, leave leave the phone in your pocket and uh, pick up the call later. So um, and that's critical. And so even so and even in this role now, I, I, I do not travel anywhere near the amount I did, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s. And I just won't. I get out when I need to, but I make sure that I'm home.
3: Um, just to, your second wife uh, I introduced my wife one time is, this is Sean, my first wife um, she saw no humor in that, she still is 40 years later, my first wife uh, I don't do that anymore but long story short, I wouldn't change anything, I have three children my youngest son is 6 foot 7 I never missed a basketball game ever uh, even on traveling I would go, but I if I was home, I was at work. If he was traveling to Vegas or whatever for a couple of days, he'd have a friggin' game at 8 in the morning, 11 o'clock at night. But I was there. And one family, one Father's Day, my wife asked the kids, what do you remember about your dad the most? And my son said that dad was at every game I played. And that meant the world to me that he knew. And he always wanted to work for me. He told me later on that when he got out of college, he wanted to work, and he's worked for me for 11, 12 years now. And um, my daughters all worked. I had a daughter that worked from her home recruiting. had another daughter that worked in the office. and But they've all moved on at this point, but they did it kind of out of college. Um, but I wouldn't change it. I mean, if I had at an event, the kids' events, when they were little, when they're older, and now with eight grandchildren, that might change a little bit, but um, I was always with them and that was more important. But on the other side, if I wasn't, I was at work. And if something bad was going at work, the kids would understand that, I, maybe I might miss dinner that night or whatever, but um, you've gotta have, just as everybody here has said, Family's important. It's probably more important than anything because you're working for your family. And um, I'm on my third deal now, and I tell Frank constantly, I am now working for my grandchildren for their life and for their livelihood because I've got plenty. I want more for them. And I'm not being greedy, but I want them to have a great life and not have to struggle through things. So it's all about family, man all about family, no matter what it is.
5: I think that, uh, you know, parents every single day have to make a difficult decision. Do I go to work to provide better for my family, or do I stay home and spend time with them? And depending on which decision you make has consequences on both sides of it. If you stay home and spend more time with them, then you may be sacrificing some of the the income and things that you want to provide for them. If you choose to go to work, then then you sacrifice the time that you get uh, to spend with them. So it's a very difficult decision that you have to make every single day of your life, and it's obviously your choice on what you want to do. But, you know, I think, um, just like a mixture of everybody on the stage today, you know, I worked too much early on. I was in business for 17 years before I ever took my first vacation. And uh, you know my children bring that up from time to time, and and uh, now we're able to to do pretty much whatever we want to, whenever we want to, yeah. and take vacations. Uh, but the well, I think one of the best lessons that parents have to in, instill in their children is how to work. Right, everybody has to go to work in, in some way to provide for the for the parents, so or for their for their for their children and for themselves. So. You know, I think, and I'm very proud to say that all at least three of my children, my youngest one's uh sophomore in college, so I, I think she'll she'll learn the same things because they watch me do it every day. They watch me get up at four thirty every morning and go Damn. to work to provide for them. so I wouldn't change a whole lot. I would take more time off for vacations with my family, but other than that, they've all turned out pretty well.
3: Great. I will say one thing. When at a smaller size, 10 million and less, I would bring them to work with me. And my six foot seven uh, son at that time was seven, eight years old, was taller than our bookkeeper. And but they would play and they could come in and play in the room. Now that they're older, I bring the dogs in to, uh, on the weekend, not during the time. But uh, but I did bring them in and they were just part of it. And um, yeah.
2: Well, uh, one, I know how much like the value of time is. And so, thank all of you for coming here and being with us and making the time to get here and enjoying the freezing cold temperatures in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I'm grateful for that. You guys all know. Um, I want to.
3: I'll pay for the inside dining <laughs> next
2: time. Wasn't Just let that? me know. I promise it wasn't that. I'm going
3: to start raising our prices and we're going to have a great dinner.
2: <laughs> okay, you heard it, Frank.
3: <laughs> you heard Frank Carter. <laughs>
2: um, all right, we're getting close. We got about eleven minutes or so left. Uh, I'm going to switch gears back to a, a, a private equity question. Um, this one is: How do you see interest rates affecting the pace and value of HVAC consolidation?
7: Uh, I mean, look, we 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 we, we have, um, you know, everybody experiences this with our private equity partner. I mean, it's it seems pretty simple. The rates go up, multiples flatten or go down. I mean, it's just it's a relationship that happens. Um, it's harder to borrow money, um, even though most of these firms have plenty of cash to put in. But then when they do that, shareholders get diluted. It's a uh, it's tricky. So. You know what we're seeing is um, we're still tenacious, like everybody up here, trying to get deals done. But it's it's harder, it's harder, and it's going to stay harder um, because money is expensive. And until that flattens or goes the other way, I mean, the conversations we're having today is felt like in 21 and probably most of 22 was just there's another higher multiple you have to pay for a business, and it seems quieter. I'd say maybe amongst my peers where they're just not going to continue to go up and up and up. In fact, they're flattening and you're starting to see them go down or people walk away from deals because that math doesn't make sense. And it's just it's just it's simple economics. They have to go get the money and that money's expensive. expensive. We all borrow to do this. And I can assure you we're paying more on our interest like we pay more interest. There was no no question. You're paying more on the money you borrowed. And that's just the reality. So. That relationship seems very relative. Rates are going up. Multiples are flattening or going down. But that's been my experience over the last, you know, this, this recent past.
4: Yeah, I think, I think Frank is uh, spot on. Um, we're definitely seeing some slowdown. I mean, the, the cost of capital, is, as Frank says, is, has gone up quite a bit. It's more than doubled uh, what it was uh, just three years ago. Um, however, there is a lot of money out there, and I think I think um, and there's, there's there's lots of money floating around that are burning holes in in pockets, and uh, they've got to put that money to use. PE does. However, that said, I mean, I think I think uh, speaking for myself, we're 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 being a little more cautious, a little more uh, strategic, a little more careful who we partner with uh, to make sure that more. Okay, more 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 than ever, we've always been strategic and, and careful uh, as who we partner with, but I think we're even more so today, making sure that uh, we we feel really good that we're partnering with the right with the right team, the right leader, the right company, right market, et cetera. But the pace uh, the pace in which deals are, have been getting done has slowed down. Uh, there's still there's still deals getting done, uh, but it's it's I think it's going to be it's going to be. Slow over the next. If you haven't, first a lot of a lot of the real the big players have been taken off the market. Right, there's still, there's still a few left. Jimmy being one of them, but there's a handful. Um, what's beautiful about this space is, you know, while the industry is about 130 billion, uh, private equity is much as much private equity is in the space. They own less than 10 percent of it. This space will always be largely dominated by. Excuse the term, mom and pops, Um, and it's just the way it's going to be. I mean, regardless of how many deals are done. You know, for every, think about this, for every company that joins private equity or sells, there's 25 in a market, there's 25 new ones that day, that startup. 25 in a market for everyone that sells in that market. Uh, It's so fragmented, the space is so big that it's just going to be dominated. So all the smaller plays right now were, you know, they're, they're getting, they're getting smarter. They're building their businesses. Uh, If you haven't, if you haven't been acquired by now, um, not that you can't get a deal done, you certainly can. uh, You may, you may wait, you may have to wait for the next couple of years to, to get what you really think your business is worth or want for it. Um, Just my, just my two cents.
0: Well, we know that uh, you know interest rates are going to cause slowdown on on things. The arbitrage players, you know, the guys who are just rounding up as much many companies and revenue and alleged EBITDA as much as they can, and they're flipping these businesses. They're the ones who are going to get tied down first. They're the ones who are not going to be able to pay, and maybe not even able to support the debt that they do have. Um, so I see that coming. So at this stage, if you're if you if you're not in the game yet, you kind of want to look for a sponsor that's more of a strategic sponsor, an operating sponsor, who uh, doesn't lever up so much. They're not so highly dependent on the leverage. They got a lot of capital. They got to deploy it. They got to work. But really, they're not going to make their they're not going to try to make their gains on an arbitrage. They're trying to make it on growth and you know growing the base business improving the base business and earning it from
6: that place as opposed to a flip so i don't have anything really to add other than you know as this process goes forward uh, growth is going to be more and more important to get to the number you want to get to so focus on your business focus on the growth and uh, strategic buyer will, will be there when you're ready uh, what they all said.
5: Well, I'm, I'm not in the space, so I don't have any comment on
2: Man, a few words, PK. <laughs> Vanilla. Okay, our last question, because I know how this is going to go in the next five minutes, uh, is Tommy. Tommy, you're going to ask the last question. Make it a good one. It, w- it will be. Don't mess it up.
8: All right. So you guys, a lot of you guys have grown through acquisitions, I think our goal is to grow 40% organically and buy 15 million of EBITDA a year. And I'm realizing a lot of people in here think, just go buy more companies, it's easy. Uh, And I've realized how hard an integration is. You're taking over a new culture, you're you're combining two teams. It it could be rather difficult, especially if we're talking CRMs. And there's a lot to do with the way the chart of accounts work and the, the pay structures. And there's a lot of mistakes that can happen. It's not simple to purchase a company. And I would just want to know, a lot of us would probably want to know, is if you guys made a mistake or what's great advice, one or two things each of you would say when you're going to do an integration, this is something you want to be very careful about or this is the best thing I've learned from making a grave mistake. All
1: right can talk to that. I'll let Ken kind of talk from the wrench perspective. At Parker & Sons, we grew. It, it was all organic, so there weren't any acquisitions. Uh, but I believe what Tommy said uh, wholeheartedly, uh, to integrate two companies together is, uh, is a tough gig. Um, two companies in a market operating independently, uh, much, much easier. Um, so anytime you're thinking about integrating a company into yours or them into you, um, it, uh, it, it takes a lot of planning. And sometimes you think 1 plus 1 is going to equal 3 or 4. Sometimes 1 plus 1 equals 1.2 or uh, 0.75. So you've got to be really, really careful.
0: I think, uh, I think what I'm really more, most keyed into lately is you, you know, you're looking at some of these businesses that have a business model. Maybe it uh, came from a best practice group, a are a, a success groups, a EGIA or something. They're using a, a fundamental model, and it's very difficult to get that team off that model if, if you don't deploy it or it doesn't match how you wanna think about it, or, or it doesn't match just the general vernacular inside your business. And so you gotta be very, very careful when you buy these businesses that are, have really strong processes that usually came from a best practice group. And if you're not in that same mode, you can, you can tear apart a business very quickly that way. So make sure that you understand what model they're using and have a complete plan on how you will migrate that plan closer to what you want it to be, and/or just leave it alone.
4: Yeah, um, organic growth trumps anything else out there. Um, my advice is continue to focus on growth. For us, acquisition—we've done we've done a fair amount of acquisitions. Don't get me wrong, but it's always been it's been very strategic. Uh, and it's always been icing on the cake. I get zero pressure from our PE partners. They would love for us to do deals. They want to grow, but you know we're we're super, with the exception of Vish, We're very very careful who we partner with. Um, just kidding, Ish. We love you. But seriously, I, you know you know if you want to create value in your business, value creation will come from organic growth. Focus on organic growth. Maybe do some some greenfields uh, and. Use acquisitions as icing on the cake when you find the right business that you absolutely, you know, um, we use a term called an asset. But if you find the right asset and you got to own it, stretch and go get it done uh, if it's that important. If it's a new, if it's a new geography, a new a new hill you want to you, you want to own and be at, stretch for it. Uh, but outside of that, it's really about uh, organic growth. And to Paul's point, and Tom, your question on on integration, it's really hard to put. And bring two cultures together. If anyone in this room has ever done that, not that it can't be done, but it's got to be really, really, really well thought out. Uh, and, um, you know, especially if they're similar industries, a little bit easier to do an HVAC and plumbing versus a HVAC and HVAC culture, uh, I have found, but nonetheless, it's, it's still difficult and I would be really careful how you, if you're going to go down that road, uh, how you do it.
6: I agree with uh, everything that's been said. The one, the one deal that I had go bad was because I we, we got too involved in the deal, and the, and the integrity of the former owner was was not good. And uh, so the lesson I learned is is walk if you if it if it, if it smells a little bit, it will probably smell a lot after you close, and walk away from it. <laughs> um, I agree with everything that uh,
3: has been really said especially from what Ken said, you've got to be selective. And I know that um, Frank has probably said no to companies more than he said yes to companies because of the culture and the fit. And uh, it's not as easy as you might think. Any hour I can ask you, you're new. I think you're pretty new into this. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing that people just can pick up. So, but, um, in conclusion, just for me, I'd like to say, all these guys up here, you've got George, I mean, you've got any hour, you've got Lawrence, you've got certain people in here that are doing this. they all are very good at what they do. they're all very respectful. I've known these guys forever, I think um. Mr. Goodrich was one of the first ones because I grew this beard for him today. Um, but I mean, we all like each other. I mean, there's no animosity, there's no hatred. It's, it's, we're all friends, we all talk, we're competitors, but we're respectful. And that's very unique in this room. There's probably some, some groups out there, I think when I saw three and a half years ago, there was three people I think out there Uh, there's probably 30 or 40, who knows how many people are out there looking. So if you're looking to sell your company and reinvest, my best advice to you is I would say what I did. I'm sorry.
4: Join the wrench group?
3: Wrench group. I would have, but I didn't know who you were. Yeah, I did. But is that reinvest, if you sell, reinvest. I reinvested in 18 months, I bonus some of our people out, and they became multimillionaires in 18 months because we sold again. Then I reinvested again, now we're in our third sale, we're probably gonna have this happen another year, a half or two. So don't forget the reinvestment part because I'm probably gonna get three times what I thought I would get up front, to the right people, but more so, money isn't everything. How are you gonna be treated? How are your people gonna be treated? Look at those and see what they've done. Talk to the people, and I can tell you, every one of these guys up here for sure I know, I would sell to them if I was do- doing it again because I respect them, I know them well, and they're just good, good people. If you ever wanna have a question or, or talk about something, I was telling some gentleman last night, I'll tell you everything that you might miss even if you sell to somebody else. And these guys would be the same way. They want you successful. They want you, if you if they buy you, they want you happy as hell. They're not looking to destroy you or hurt you in any way. So you've got a great group here, and you've got three or four of you guys are just as good out there. Um, but I would say for me, my best, best decision I made was a hard myself, but better, when I hired this gentleman here, Frank DeMarco, who came from a great friend, Dave Geiger, down there. I've known him for seven or eight years, and and he was in one of the groups, and I always saw saw Dave. And when when Frank moved out, he referred him to me, and it it was the best, because I couldn't run 20 companies. I don't know anybody who could run 20 companies, but he certainly found the people, he ran it and did a good job. And these guys are all just as well, especially this guy here who, you were the first, right? Yeah. And um, so I'm just trying to compliment the people that are in this room. Chris brought in great people. If you don't have a good marketing team, you're an idiot if you don't use this guy. (laughs) This guy is unbelievable. He's got an unbelievable team.
2: Thank you. I was a pretty good he's,
3: he's, I I'm just I'll always have been so impressed from the first day I met him. It's just, he's a gentleman
0: and they're good at what they do. So, hey,
2: let me I appreciate on that. that. On Thanks, Leland. Sure.
0: Let me just say one last thing on the acquisition thing. This happened to me the other day. So, I meet this PE guy. He's all excited about the space. He bought a bunch of businesses. I go, oh, what's your plan? Because they were like, you know, one in California, one in Kentucky, and then up. You know, I don't even know the the eastern part of the country. You know, Pennsylvania or something. And I'm like, well, what's your plan? He goes, buy them for ten, sell them for twenty. And I go, well, you still got to run the fuckers. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, that's that that's where people keep making this mistake. Sp- it's not a foregone conclusion that you buy two million dollars in EBIT and it's gonna stay at $2 million in EBITDA or grow. You have to lead those businesses and grow them. You know, Leland and I were at ARS in the 90s when it hit a billion in revenue. And then it went to 350 million in revenue. And I don't think they're still, I don't think they're at a billion today. They are,
4: yeah, they are. they're at a billion.
0: Now. They're just right at a billion?
4: Well, maybe a little more.
0: So Think about how long it took them to recover. Ninety-nine, they bought a billion dollars in revenue, and it took them this long.
4: But I think what's really, what's really interest, interesting, it's kind of sad, if you, look at, if you look at that business, I mean, ARS has been around for a long time. They ought to be, they ought to be at $2, 3000000000 So they sold the business a few years ago, and I forget who they're with now, but for a business that was almost a billion in a space at the time that's getting... 15, 17, 18 times EBITDA, they got 10. So it just, it told you that they, they, they didn't run the business. I mean, they, they made a lot of mistakes. One customer represented 40% of their revenue, right? I mean, who that is and didn't have the right strategy and, and they got penalized for it. And they get, they got, they got hit pretty hard. So yeah, to Ken's point, there's no guarantees. You got to run a business and you can't be a federation you know, we can, we can talk all day around integration and centralization and what that looks like, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, what's the right answer, and there's, there's no one right answer. There's different ways to skin the cat. Um, they didn't do a lot of things right, and uh, they're, they're trying to fix that. I would say
1: one thing with
3: Denver, Ken and I were there, I don't know what happened afterwards, but the CEO was a...
2: Well, gentlemen, thank you. Uh, I think we should all stand up and give these guys a big round of applause. (laughs) Listeners, thank you so much again for listening to this podcast week after week. We are extremely grateful. Again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to give back to the home services industry that we love so much, whether you're a rhino or not. We really... Really appreciate all the subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go in and subscribe and you'll get all the episodes sent to you automatically weekly. Also, we have really enjoyed your feedback. Uh, It's so meaningful for us when we get to read the nice comments that you guys put. So keep doing that. And if you don't know how to do it, here's what you got to do. You search for To The Point Home Services on Apple Podcasts. You click on our profile, scroll all the way down to the bottom and hit write a review. And be honest and share your story and how the podcast has impacted you and your business. Thanks again from the bottom of our hearts at To The Point Home Services Podcast. We appreciate you.